Welcome to One of Two Hundred, the independent politics and media podcast. I'm joined this evening. It's a Wednesday night in Auckland for me. Uh, my co-host Rusty is joining us from Wellington. How are you doing down there, Rusty? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, you got a little bit of a, a croak in your throat. Just having joked about COVID. I'll have to watch out. Good thing I'm locked in this room. <laughs> and got a got a, a little bit of a different. Um, pace of cast uh, for everyone for our midweek cast. We've been trying to put it together for a while and that's to have a range of people running in local elections uh, on progressive or, or left-wing platforms, um, whatever adjective you want to use in that space. Uh, so we've got three people here with us this evening. We've got uh, Louise Hutt from Hamilton, Lachlan Patterson from Wellington, and John Turner in Auckland. Uh, and I'll now hand over to each of them in turn, just introduce themselves and uh, let us know where they're running um, and with or what for. Uh, so Louise, if you want to kick us off. Sure. Um, kia ora. My name is Louise. Uh, I am running in the Hamilton West Ward for Hamilton City Council. Uh, West is best, uh, as they say. I am a second time candidate. I uh, ran in 2019 for mayor and for West Ward again. Yeah, I'm not sure what else is super exciting and interesting that I can say that is concise enough. So I might hand it over to uh, someone else. <laughs> Lachlan, um, to continue this reverse alphabetical. Yeah, kia ora. Uh, my name is Lachlan. I am the Green candidate for the Whārangi Onslow Western Ward uh, in the Wellington City Council election. So I do agree entirely with Louise that West is best. Yeah, my campaign is all about creating a livable, sustainable and affordable city uh, for all the core Wellington home because we've you know, got a terrible housing crisis. So I'm all about taking action on housing, uh, sustainable transport and you know, turning around the climate crisis. So that's me. And John, if you want to give us your little intro. Kia ora called John Turner Aho. Uh, so I'm in the Pukitaupapa Local Board election. I'm currently a member of the Pukitaupapa Local Board, actually deputy chair. I can't say it's west, it's central, but I guess it borders the west. Uh, <laughs> we're the last, we've got the last supermarket before the trust starts, so, and the trust control. So you can't buy booze in supermarkets out west, so a whole lot of people stop in Linfield. Yeah, I'm running on the Roscoe Community Voice ticket, which is uh, Labour, Greens and Community Independence. Um, and there's a lot of fun involved in that. Let's get straight into that uh, then. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, all of you, for, for agreeing to come along and, and have this chat. I think something we don't often get to see is kind of long-form conversations outside of community halls. Um, which are often, I, I think, a lot more antagonistic kind of debate style things with other candidates to varying size of audience. But yeah, what well, you kind of had a wry uh, smile on your face uh, when you mentioned there's a lot of fun involved, John. What's what's the campaign been like so far? And, and I guess when did you kick it off? Uh, so peak COVID, well, the first one of them anyway, who knows now. Um, so it'll be around March this year, we had selections and so selections involve if you're a green party candidate you have a whole lot of pre-selection which includes going through your branch there's a whole lot of stuff involved then you go to a selection meeting where everyone's in other parties don't don't do that they don't have the pre-selection and that can lead to some interesting points of view getting raised and so yeah we have the selection and then there's a panel that chooses the candidates um and then we we go from there so we have a 
Well, I'm the I'm, oh no, we have two green on my board on on my ticket. We have the rest are all Labour this year, um, which is a bit of a change. We usually have more community independence, and the way that City Vision is what was set up. I think it's over. I think it's probably 24 years ago now. Um, basically, the Auckland Isthmus would always be communities. They were called citizens and ratepayers then, communities and rate um, residents now, and they would always win it because the vote would get split. So City Vision was set up as a vehicle to stop that happening. It's been really successful in Waitemata, Albert Eden, uh, and Pukitapapa. So it does work. It requires a lot of consensus building. You know, you're not always going to get the policy that you um, might want to be your number one one is probably not going to get on it, but there's also the opportunity to really push for a whole lot of progressive stuff. And with on my board, it's been you know a great, well, Roscoe Cunha Boyce have held the held the majority for the last six years, and basically everything they've well a lot of the stuff that's gone on would be Green Party policy. Um, over the last three years, it's been like that. There, you know, there's been no ideological battles, um, but when you come to Getting the the ticket policies put together, that was a really, really long, long process. And, you know, there are things in there that I think all members of the ticket have have, uh, expressed their disagreement with. Is that similar uh, in our other locations as well, Lachlan? Is that how you've experienced it down down in Wellington? Yeah, so, I mean, in Wellington, we're lucky to have um, a single transferable vote, so we don't need to form... Um, those electoral coalitions, we can just do our own thing. Um, and a satellite Wellington, it's quite easy to have a big green ticket as well, uh, which is great. So, you know, I was selected back um, in April by the Greens membership, uh, local Greens, which was cool, really good democratic process, uh, which we love. And uh, in the end, we've ended up with a really strong and progressive ticket, which is really exciting. You know, for the first time in, I think, years, I've got an awesome green candidate in every single ward even uh, and um, an, an endorsed independent um, for the mayoralty, um, which is really exciting. And because we've got that ranked voting system, it does mean we can cast our um, own position independently of Labour without risking splitting the vote, which is really valuable. And I've got, over the last term, we have seen that we've had a unusually uh, uh, on paper a progressive majority on council with you know Green councillors and Labour councillors. So I'm hopeful that this election, we can strengthen that, improve it, and, and you know, get um, even more change going forward. Yeah. And what about over in Hamilton, Louise? Hamilton is, I earnestly say this, Hamilton is so interesting uh, for a bunch of different reasons, but uh, the one I will give you now <laughs> is that we, we don't have like uh, branded party branded candidates at all in Hamilton. We absolutely have party politics at play. Former city councillor Gary Mallett used to be president of the ACT Party. Our former mayor, uh, Andrew King, used to be, well, he is a National Party member. And there's sort of talk of whether or not he's going to run for the Hamilton West seat, which was vacant. And then Tim McIndoe said he was going to re-nominate himself for it. So you've got lots of party politics there and influencing, you know, what happens, but it's not explicit or overt. But like Wellington, uh, we have STV. This will be our first STV election after the campaign for STV in Hamilton has been going on for probably 20 years. Um, so a huge, huge win this council term to, to see that come across the line. And yeah, it's, it's a really different vibe, this election, than it was last time. Last time I ran for mayor and I had other candidates accuse me of splitting the vote, you know, uh, which is kind of under if first past the post. It's 
it can happen, but you know, you can't, you know, crystal ball gaze and guess what's going to happen on election day. So, you know, accusations of that are sometimes a little bit people are making assumptions about how people are going to vote you know but this time it's quite interesting this election the first time with stv because there's lots of opinions and thoughts about how that's going to go particularly with quite a few we have quite a few progressive candidates some people on council i would call like relatively progressive so it will be quite interesting because the whole pitch of stv is that you know it creates better diversity and it supports progressive candidates being elected so optimistic shall we say (laughs) Fantastic. It's one of the things that, and I should have probably thought about this uh, before uh, bringing people on from a whole bunch of different areas, but the the way the elections are set up can be quite impactful locally. And, you know, it's completely at odds with a lot of what we see in national elections, which is what a lot of people are more used to voting for. Um, you know, that's where a lot of the behaviours, I guess, or mechanics of electoralism are normalised. And the, like the turnout is another another part of that, right? So I think I remember having some conversations with you about this previously, Louise. What kind of turnout do you get in Hamilton? 38%, baby. That was the best voter turnout since I think 2004 uh, at the last election. Uh, still not cracking 40%, uh, but that's okay. We're getting there. We're improving. Yeah, but it's kind of I don't know, shocking, I guess. It just, I can't believe that our voter turnout got like even this bad. Um, but I was talking with someone recently and I was saying, you know, uh, I have been absolutely spammed with ads from city council being like, will you stand? Will you be a councillor? Will you stand? And I'm like, yeah, team, I'm on it already. Leave me alone. My God. They're like, uh, Instagram ads must be set up so well. But I assume they just didn't put like Louise Hutt as this like single person. <laughs> their Instagram is to target but it's the same with their um like they have a real uh, focus campaign this time uh, as well on getting people to turn out to vote but I mean I try to say to people you know like when so few people vote your vote means so much more you know your vote can have so much more impact um not last election the previous election before that the mayor was only elected on six votes I only missed out being elected last election by 80 votes, you know, and I like met people the day after the election being like, oh, you look really familiar. And I was like, yeah, I was a candidate. And they're like, oh, if I'd have known there was an election, I would have voted for you. And I was like, I need to leave because this makes me so angry. (laughs) But yeah, you know, like uh, I know that electoralism uh, is not the be all and end all of, you know, making change and, you know, seeing great things happen in your community but certainly with local body politics you have the ability to just yeah change elections potentially i guess question for you louis but also the others does that you know the fact that there is so much disengagement especially among kind of younger voters more progressive voters at a local level does that change the way that you campaign or or kind of what you need to do to, to reach out to people is it sort of a get out the base type thing or yeah, I'm just curious what, what the impact of that is. Yeah, that's a really good question. I was having a, a campaign conversation with somebody and I was, we were talking about how, you know, when you're targeting, when you're trying to improve the voter turnout, you're uh, talking with people and you're trying to just get them enrolled first and you're trying to just convince them that voting is even important and you should bother and you should like pull those voting papers out of your letterbox and not let, you know, like slugs eat them for three weeks. Um <laughs> And then you need to convince them to vote for you. So like it's 
it's such a different conversation than just like hello I'm not a you know I'm up it please vote for me I you know will turn up to council and I will vote for things and I will be thoughtful and I care about climate change and you know those kind of things but I think something I've noticed in Hamilton certainly is that um, we haven't always had good candidates so often we've had atrocious candidates and you know, I didn't vote in local government elections the first, well, the first time I voted was in 2016. Um, and a friend of mine dragged me to this like women in politics event. And I like wrote notes because I'm a fucking nerd. <laughs> and I still have it. I found it the other day, this little notebook of all these notes. And I wrote all these candidates names and then like what I thought of them. And like, fuck, that was bleak. Like, <laughs> and this isn't even all of them. This is just the women candidates. And I was just like, Muppet, Muppet, like, can't string two words together. Just like, don't know why they're here is someone making them be here you know like and I think why would you keep voting if your options are like atrocious you know uh last election there were four councillors who were unelected from council uh Gary Mallett former president of the ACT party uh James Casson who uh said something along the lines of uh people should just get over the Christchurch uh shooting they should just move on from that it's been two weeks uh Siggy Henry, rabid anti-vaxxer, parked in a disabled car park with her branded council car, wore an anti-vax t-shirt to an autism fundraiser. <laughs> and Leo Tooman, who used to be, I think he used to be a policeman and he was just really pro-cars. Uh, anyway, the four of them were unelected from council last election because there were better candidates. And there was like significant margin for the two on the West not like they weren't just like next in line I was next in line on West you know they were so significantly dropped so I really think that you know having giving people viable options to vote for and I mean I was told by someone very significant that I shouldn't campaign on climate change because people don't care about it and I was like um no <laughs> I think people do care about climate change and I'm really angry about it and What's Jeff what do you Bezos know? doing in your DMs? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah. And, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't admittedly one of the, the people who on council actively didn't believe in climate change. It was somebody else. But, you know, that's the vibe. Don't talk about climate change. No one cares about it. It's like, mm, I think maybe some people do. And maybe people might vote if they thought candidates cleared about climate change. But mm. uh, I can hop in. Um, I've got some reckons. So it's really interesting with Auckland, you know, the super city, the amalgamation, one of the main reasons that the initial royal commission into it was done was because there was a disengagement with council. I think it was something like 55% were voting. So the 2010 election, it dropped to 51. At the most recent one, it was 35. So it hasn't worked. Um, Rodney Hyde's evil experiment has not worked. Um, and that's just one of many parts. Yeah, it's really interesting with Auckland Council, the way, you know, Labour initiated the commission into it had a whole lot of recommendations they all got ignored um you know the cco model was set up against advice from everyone it's just um you know the beginning of privatization but then who was going to buy it uh, anyway we won't go into there too much but with with getting people to vote um it is like louise said it's if, if you're knocking on the door and you've managed to convince them to a find the piece of paper then you have to tell them where a letterbox is and, you know, there was a whole lot of complaint that Trump was like taking away letterboxes. If you look up how many letterboxes there are in America versus there are here, we are way, way, we have far less letterboxes. So people aren't able to do it. Um, you know, we're out there talking to the people that we want, you know, that speak to the same values. 
be working. Um, you know, if you've got disability, it's really hard to get to a letterbox. There's, you know, so many barriers put in the way. It's, I found it really disappointing that there's been a real refusal to look at doing more in-person options. I think, you, you know, there is, you can drop them off at a library. Well, there's one library for the entirety of Pukitapapa, um, and, you know, bus routes don't all go there. So, you know, to get someone to go vote is an hour and a half journey on a bus. Well, I mean, some some people will do it. I don't know if I would. Well, I probably would now. I'm on. I'm running, right? Surely I would. Yeah. So, yeah, once you manage to get that person to think about voting, we're quite lucky. But again, there's the issue of there's mayor, councillors, and then local board. Thankfully, we've got rid of DHB now, which is fantastic because that was just another step to really dissuade people from it, especially in Auckland. That was STV and nothing else was. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, once you... We're lucky enough that, you know, people have six votes for local boards. So if you're on the door knocking to them, uh, if, if you're on their doorstep talking to them, they probably go, oh, well, I'll give him one. He turned up. So that's quite nice. And I think that was a real strength for us last time is that we managed to door knock a whole lot. I think Louise talked about good candidates running and that getting people to vote. Well, this time we've got some really bad candidates running for mayor. And I think that's going to get people out to vote. We've got a great candidate running for mayor, um, if you saw. But we have, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, media, there's social media, there's all that stuff going on. And I think that, you know, the last election was quite boring. Um, you know, it was JT with his three-lane, three-level harbour bridge versus Phil Goff. The, oh, we won't say anything. Yeah, I think we'll, we will potentially see a whole lot more coming through from that. But then it's making sure that people um, understand what the, the lower levels, for want of a better word, um, you know, local board. And, and the fact that, you know, a mayor is just one voice. Your councillors are almost equal um, in power with them. And you know, can get a lot more done for you. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. That's a really good point, right? Like you've kind of got that three-step challenge there of get people into vote, get them to vote for you, and then get them to actually, you know, physically deliver the thing. I know, yeah. and Lachlan, I don't know if you encountered this, but you know, there's one drop-off point for ballots in all of central Wellington, or maybe it was yeah. all of Wellington. Just one, and the whole city, if you needed to cast a special vote. I mean, other cities, comparable cities, have multiple. So, you know, uh, our Green endorsed mural candidate, Tori Fano, started a petition trying to get more special voting places because it is so inaccessible. Um, and particularly when you've got, like, in, especially in your inner city, lots of, like, so many renters. We've got so many renters in Wellington right across the city. And if you're moving house every single year because we've got a terrible housing crisis, are you going to be updating your address every time? Many don't. So, you know, those voting papers aren't coming to you anyway, um, which is a real um, another way the housing crisis and our broken uh, um, electoral system, um, you know, dissuades progressive voters who want change, who have a reason to want change from participating. But of course, we have the whole local body scene so often um, about dissuading, you know, renters and um, non-homeowners, non-ratepayers from uh, participating. Um, and I'm hopeful that over the last term, when the housing crisis has become so central and people, um, particularly thanks to, we've got really good local council news coverage in Wellington, which I think we're quite lucky to have. People have started to see the connection that council has a big role to play, particularly in these planning issues and social housing issues for um, you know what happens with our housing crisis and what happens with our transport services. So I am hopeful that in a city like Wellington, where you know two-thirds uh of voters in a general election vote labor or the greens that we can you know harness that get people engaged in local body on those key issues now that people have seen what role council plays in your life um you know to turn out and um have a reason to vote for a progressive and transformational radical council why 
has it got to this state? Oh, obviously, there's a lot of mechanical problems with the way that voting is constructed. Um, that was very clear from all three of you. But it doesn't sound like those are old problems. And you see people talking about, okay, you know, vote, intentional voter disenfranchisement is a thing, but I don't really get the sense that we have that here in the same way that you might see in the US. And how is that linked to what, what Lachlan was saying about people not realizing the kind of effect that local body politicians uh, can have on their community? What, like, what has been missing here for the last, I don't know, 10, 20, 2? 33. <laughs> yes, yeah. Any insights on that? I mean, I know I just spoke, but I think there's also like some real structural problems, like with council being so starved of revenue streams, like you've got like one main lever and that's rates and people don't like their rates going up. And so I think it really embeds a kind of conservatism into what local government does and what they can do and, you know, puts a damper on any kind of political imagination about what amazing role local government could play in shaping people's lives. And so that really, you know, dampens interest, I would imagine, and dampens what councillors are willing to, you know, stick their neck out to do because they'll go, oh, if we we build great social housing, we'll just put rates up and then the people won't like that and we'll get voted out. And that kind of really reduces your kind of political participation in a way is my first take. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I'm just trying to find it. I obviously have not been able to, but at the you know, after we got elected, there was an election review and, you know, we gave all that feedback and then managerialism, things disappear into the ether. And then three years later, the same thing's happening over again. And, you know, potentially it is on us as elected members to actually be really driving that a whole lot more. But, you know, is that in your, your interest when you're elected member, when you're, you've got on, you know, so it doesn't become priority one. And then, you know, it's only three years later, you're going, oh, the elections are coming up. Nothing's changed. So, you know, potentially it's something that could really um, benefit from a bit of a concerted drive from, you know, the people, media, all of the above, um, to say, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking about Auckland here. We must be one of the only countries, uh, sorry, cities left using FPP. And, and you know, is there the opportunity to be offering in person? I think I've just remembered now, you know, we were, entranced by the idea of online voting and then you know that got ruled out and the in-person voting never really got brought up but you know so not taking away postal because it you know it is ideally it is a whole lot more accessible for people but um you know having that in-person option as well for because i think it was you kyle that said you know that's what we really used to you go down to the local sport club on saturday and and post your vote in yeah i have so many thoughts on this so it's like an 80 something fucking percent turnout for general election, right? And it's an in person vote. And I'm like, right, so let's do that 100%. Postal vote if you want to, fine. Let's do that. And then, like, God forbid I should say we should take anything from Australian politics. But I think there should be a sausage sizzle. I think you need to combine those two. You've got a winning strategy. Like, I trick my friends every general election. I'm like, team. Let's have a like, let's go to the ice cream parlor. Let's go to that because we have Duck Island in Hamilton, home of Duck Island. Uh, they're not paying me. <laughs> just really nerdy about things from Hamilton. And I'm like, let's go get ice cream team. And I choose a route between my house and like wherever the ice cream parlor is. And I'm like, oh, 
Would you look at that? There's a voting booth. Oh, team, it takes like five minutes. So I'll just go. I just go vote. Do you guys want to come? And they always come. All of them. And I, that's how I get like 10 of my friends in a group to all like make sure that they vote. And I'm just like, we just need that. But a sausage sizzle, it's fine. It'll be great. But, you know, I think on top of that, you've also got when people move cities in New Zealand, I've had people like not just moving house within a, in a, within a district, moving cities. And I've had people from Auckland be like, Louise, so what's regional council? <laughs> we didn't have that in Auckland. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, and what local board do I vote for in Hamilton? I'm like, no local boards. You've got mayor and your ward. And there's two wards, east and west. And they're like, oh, because, you know, in Auckland, it's so different. And then what I really, truly don't understand is that the government mandated STV for DHB elections. The government was like, you know, we've looked at all the research. We've seen what is the best electoral system and it is STV. And we're going to force all the DHBs to use it. And yet they'll still not do that for local elections. And it's the same, I, I believe, with Māori wards, like, I get it. I get having local decision making and I obviously think it's really important. But when the government has already gone and like mandated it across the board for a different kind of election, like why did you not just do that for everything else? I don't know. I don't know. So I guess we've talked a bit about, you know, kind of the, the st structural barriers and the sort of things for broader reform. But have, have any of you found sort of in campaigning, whether it's online or in person, if there are particular things that do actually catch people and do get them enthused that are like the your go-tos of like that's going to wind someone up i i could probably hazard a guess at some of the wellington ones based on experience down here but i'd begin to know up in, in auckland or, or hamilton what what that looks like transport's a big one for us we have this roundabout that's getting built down the road for me and it's been like much requested by the community for ages auckland transport have managed to take nearly eight months to build it um so everything's been ripped up it's and there's there's this litany of errors that go through it we have no control over that but of course we are the ones that wear it especially because i actually engage with people about it and you know try to give some information transport trees taxes that would be the three t's even though they're rates. i had to come up with a t yeah so trees you know it's really cool that people are really keen to be protecting trees up here unfortunately a lot of that gets focused in on quite you know racist undertones on things like um, the Maunga, so native tree restoration. People go, oh, no, we need to be protecting these old pine trees, which are at the end of their life anyway. But, you know, you can turn that into a positive thing, thing by saying, well, here's all the cool stuff we are doing. Here's all these trees that we're planting. Um, you know, I'm part of this group, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, the things that get people interested are always controversial things. Um, and it's, you know, I think that Julie Ferry, who's our current chair, is really good at and has taught me quite a bit about you know um getting involved in the controversial thing but making sure you're putting a real positive spin on it and you know the big thing is you put out your thing and then you say hey would love to meet you in person when someone keeps going and then pull out of it you know and someone might keep on going but you've just made your point yeah those those are the those are the big things for us i mean now we have housing intensification as well but to be honest there are people that that really does affect but i think for you like vast majority of people they're not that interested in it unless you're explaining to someone you know like hey we're going to get all of the houses here but we're not going to be able to have any closer to town um you know where all those yeah anyway we're not going to go into that tonight i think but those would be those are the kind of hot topics up here anyway i think it can be a real mixed bag in hamilton like if they're if they're an established voter a lot of the time it is just like rates and i think it's because 
that's your like sometimes most obvious choice of topic with things to talk about but I also get quite I don't know I get quite frustrated sometimes when people are like well what would you change in the long-term plan or what would you do about this thing and I'm like well if I was a counselor I'd be able to like I like reply to that really easily because I would be paid to read the long-term plan and have engaged with it for months but I'm currently a member of the public who takes a odd interest in local democracy and spends all my free time reading reports but you know like my answer to that as a member of the public as a candidate who's not elected is going to be really different to an elected official who has council staffers to give them you know in depth on whatever they they want to look at so I think so and and I feel like sometimes with rates when people are like, oh, well, what do you think about these rate rises, eh? It's like, well, hold on, can we contextualize rates for a second? So everyone pays rates, not just people who own the house. Uh, you know, it's renters contribute to rates, obviously. Uh, why do we need to put rates up? Oh, because in Hamilton, it's been really popular to keep them really low for a long time. So elected members keep getting elected because there's like sweet fuck all rates rise across, you know, decades. Oh, and now all of our water infrastructures turn to shit. And that's why they were proposing, I think we've had a 9% rates increase, but they were at different points proposing a 19 or a 20% rates rise. And in the, uh, the report that most recently went to council this week, forgive me, I can't recall the name of it, it had a graph of Hamilton's water infrastructure um, and the changes, the improvements that are proposed in the current long-term plan. And it's a traffic light system, you know, like red for bad, won't meet need. And this is from the proposed changes, uh, orange, green, easily. I don't know, 60, 70% of the city red. Our water infrastructure from what we have planned at, to implement with the current rate rises of 9% is will not be enough to meet our city's water infrastructure needs. And so people are like, how do you think about rates rises? And it's like, um, well, <laughs> like, I hate to tell you, buddy, but like, we really like fucked this infrastructure for so long by not investing in it continuously over a long period of time. We had a cyclist killed in Hamilton at a roundabout, well, it's not a roundabout, it's one of the few places that isn't a roundabout in Hamilton, uh, at a set of lights uh, that was tagged to be upgraded, but we can't do it yet. We have to wait till next year to upgrade it because we don't have the money to do it. We have to wait for NZTA funding. And so it's like, cool. So what you're saying is if we had to fix that earlier, that person would, probably wouldn't have died because there would have been safe cycling of structure. So when people, I don't know, I get really angry about like rates as a thing that candidates should just say, oh no, well, you know, if possible, I would choose to not, you know, raise rates. But it's like, actually that can be hugely important for maintaining the bare minimum of infrastructure for our cities and lots of other elected members over the, course of time just simply haven't done it and to me that's like so grossly negligent and I I don't know I'd, I could go on forever but I shan't like I said there's so many things to say about Hamilton <laughs> yeah I'll jump in here uh so I mean the issues when I've been calling people calling voters um you know the issues you always hear are like first infrastructure people care about Wellington's infrastructure the water pipes um the roads um, let's get Wellington moving all the transport infrastructure changes and that's always that's really on top of, pe top of people's minds at the moment um, sometimes they also raise all the housing changes though most times when I call people out they're like oh I don't I don't know what I care about and then I ask them oh are you a, are you a renter and they go yeah so uh, how are you finding renting oh it sucks the housing is crap and then you're like wow 
maybe here's a reason you should care about uh, local government. And then suddenly they care all about housing. They do care about housing and they figure out, yeah, my life is terrible because of this housing crisis that councils have failed to deliver on. We don't have enough public housing. We don't have enough affordable housing. It's all moldy. It's the most expensive in the country. So everyone does care about something, even if they say they don't at first. Um, but you just got to meet them actually in their material circumstances and give them a reason to remind them of a reason to care about local government. Is that something that you are able to draw a direct line between a lot of the time um, in terms of your understanding of what council was able to do for their material circumstances? Or is that a challenge in itself sometimes? I mean, my approach is always, yeah, I'm a renter too. Pay so, we pay so much rent, you know. You'll know, I know, we've had the highest rent in the country uh, around about and have the worst quality housing in the country. And that is a result of council failing to build enough affordable housing, let enough affordable housing be built. Um, and sure, we have quality housing and instead they've prioritised the interests of property speculators and landlords over the interests of, you know, ordinary renters who are, you know, paying so much money, so much more money every year. Uh, and people get that when they hear like, oh, yeah, council hasn't been working in my interests. And uh, I, in my, in my, I'm hopeful, I think, that that's a reason to get pe for people to get engaged. I think a lot of the time as well, it's about like re-educating people who perhaps did not have a great civics education at school around like, hey, you know this thing you're really angry about? Actually, that's a local government thing, not a central government thing. I mean, it would be great if central government helped us pay for it. <laughs> but, you know, like really the decision makers on that are, you know, your local council. And the sometimes I'm very frustrated by the just like level of misunderstanding around that. Like we had a by-election recently and the candidate who unfortunately won was all like crime and punishment, like more police. You know, I was like, Judith Collins in a wig, get out of my election. <laughs> like, But it was like, that's central government. You have no control over that. Why would you be talking about what reforms you would do with the police when that's not what city council does, you know? And so it's kind of frustrating when even you see, you know, candidates making that mistake of like, no, actually. And I think one of the, I don't know, one of the ways that I find helpful to talk about it is that every road that's not a state highway is controlled by your local council. So that's in terms of transport that's huge that's a lot of roads if you want better safe cycling infrastructure if you want better footpath quality uh if you want uh to lower speed limits if you want to put in uh speed bumps you know like that's all your local council it's not actually the government so it's kind of i guess reframing a lot of the assumptions you might make that like oh yeah roads taxes pay for roads it's like wow yeah if you're a transmission gully yeah but you know the street you live on probably not i'm surprised you said that people might not have had a great civics education louise i didn't think i got a civics education at all <laughs> yeah it's it is really interesting and, and it's one of those things that you could spend about half an hour on a doorstep kind of um you know bringing people's knowledge up around what council does and and you know when we've got to explain what a local board does as well it becomes even you know even an even further step to go through but yeah it just comes back to that you know you like your park? Well, this is what the cool things that we did, or here's what we're going to do to make it a bit better. Or do you like swimming in the beach? Well, you can't do it a whole lot of the time, but here's, you know, billions of dollars are actually getting spent on it in Auckland. Like cool stuff is actually happening here in, in a lot of places. And, and, you know, people complain a lot about things, but there is actually, uh, you know, I was just complaining about it before, but, you know, there has definitely been benefits to a whole lot of things and it's, it's actually selling those, those benefits to people as well. 
And like, it's funny when you're talking about the crime and safety guy, because we've just had CNR run a crime and safety meeting, um, you know, of signs everywhere, which they aren't legally allowed to be putting up. And that they has the been police... so dodgy. I cannot oh, so believe dodgy. it. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've broken a law to talk about crime. Actually, I kind of like that. Um, anyway, but yeah, so, and then, you know, they said the police were going to go be there and the police ended up having to come out and say, we're not coming to that. Like, you know, we're, we're nonpartisan. So, um, but you know, it's, yeah, that's, they've obviously, you know, had that question asked that Kyle asked about what gets people going and they've gone crime and safety. That's what we're going to talk about. We can't do anything about it, but you know, we've got now got signs everywhere. So people go, oh, the other guys that did something about it. Do you think that is driven by the national level media to an extent? Because, I mean, obviously, um, local community issues can be quite different than, you know, countrywide issues. Uh, and we've seen a lot of crime stuff, crime reporting. You know, we've seen a huge uptick in that. Like, there, there are graphs about this um, over the last six months. Do you, do you find that leaches directly into what candidates are pushing for as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know. That then causes people to post about it on social media. Social media also, you know, people report everything, you know, things that are happening less than they used to are now getting captured on a CCTV camera and getting shared around. So, yeah, it totally is that that national media um, talking about things, then people going, well, that's what, you know, that's what people care about at the moment, um, definitely. I think what I see a lot of is uh, <laughs> it's a lot of car break-ins in Hamilton. That seems to be the thing, and as well as ram raids that people talk about but uh I always just think about like taking it back to the reality of it of like bikes like bikes are the most stolen like form of transport and obviously you can't steal a bus or a train but you know like bike thefts are just like astronomically stolen like the the stats on that are truly like horrifying I'm so scared of leaving my bike around the place and then when you look at it in comparison to like car thefts and car break-ins it's like it's like it's a joke it's an absolute joke but you know like that's what people want to talk about because more people have cars and there's a perceived visibility of it but I always sort of think like well I don't have a car for it to be broken into (laughs) but you know like it's kind of as we shift, I think, in climate change and things like that, it's going to be really interesting how those conversations change because when people are like, no, bikes do get stolen, I'm going to be like, yes, maybe this that's is the your... only version of this I want to talk about. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe that's your pro-law and order stance is uh, just to come up with the right angle, you just go full cop. Um... <laughs> yeah, but the, the, the other interesting thing, I guess, about it is in Hamilton, uh, the stat I don't think applies to anywhere else in the country, but if you're riding a bike in Hamilton, you're more likely to live in a low deprivation, like air quotes, a low deprivation area than to live like in an affluent area. So I'm I'm also like, well, if people are seeing bikes, like they probably, I, I get it. It's a great way to get around. It's so much cheaper than filling up your car. So I'm also like, I don't know. I'm somewhat sympathetic to it. <laughs> I, I think that um, that original point about how uh, uh, national politics and how it influences local politics, particularly on crime and safety is quite interesting because earlier last year in 2021, there were all these stories about um how unsafe the centre city of Wellington was. You'd have Nicola Willis coming out, blaming emergency housing tenants and homeless people, uh, very racially coded, of course. And then you had a huge movement of mainly young people who had a big rally in Courtney Place um, demanding a city, you know, um, that was safe because there was problems with sexual violence and, and that kind of harm, particularly around Courtney Place. And that really came together and put a progressive, had a progressive 
message about reducing sexual harm, um, calling for you know non-carceral, um, non-police interventions to make our city safer. We had the Minister for um, Sexual and Family Violence Prevention, Madhava Davidson, and you had now Green Councillor Tamitha Paul there. And that led to a big program for Wellington City Council to take on the Porniki Promise, which led forward um, with a bunch of you know non policing um, interventions um, to improve the safety of include uh, of the city centre, including uh, more community hubs in around that part of town, uh, you know, working with hospo, uh, hospitality sector and bars and stuff to um, um, help train workers about around dealing with sexual assault in bars and workplaces, you know, street improvements to make them light, brighter, lighter, um, more welcoming, greater pedestrian spaces. And I think that's an example of a role that council can play within their powers to, you know, connect communities and also, um, you know, improve our public spaces and provide social support services to um, reduce, to improve safety, but also for where how councillors can use council as a platform to champion and, you know, non-carceral, um, um, non-police alternatives to community um, well-being and community safety. And you can do it on a number of issues as well, um, challenging um, government with a um, more progressive and more radical um, approach to improving our city. I feel like it's one of those things, right, where uh, you can be asked a question or you can be given a topic at a debate and it would be very easy to go the way that the national media is talking about it or perhaps the way you presume the, the room is going to want you to talk about it or how every other candidate before you has spoken about it, you know, but you can choose to be like, crime and punishment, what I hear you, you're wanting me to talk about poverty action, that's right, yes, no, I understood the question, okay, here's my spiel on, you know, why poverty is the leading cause of crime and so therefore I'm going to talk about inequality I hope you guys are ready for this you know and I think like that is one of the I guess advantages of being a candidate and that's certainly what I found last time being a mayoral candidate was like someone's giving you a mic and you're like hey so I'm just going to change the subject to like <laughs> this actual thing that's actually tangibly affecting people you know like it's like someone might get up in arms about their like you know rubbish and recycling and I'm like yes okay with my like green party hat on yes I care about rubbish and recycling but like public I, ownership <laughs> yeah <laughs> um what's the thing called where it's uh the people who make the rubbish have to take control of it oh my COVID brain is failing me but um you know it's like product actually, stewardship that's it uh thank you Lachlan <laughs> I need you to come to my events so you can uh, translate this but, you know, it's like, hey, I know that you're upset about your rubbish and recycling because that's an inconvenience. But, you know, like, can we also talk about the fact that, like, 40% of Hamilton uh, doesn't earn more than $20,000 a year? Like, can we talk about that? Like, you know, because I bet you're also angry about that, but you maybe didn't know that that many other people were also in your shoes or, you know, your friends are experiencing that, you know? Like, I think sometimes it's about taking it from that, like, immediate inconvenience and being like, let's like dig a little bit deeper. And and I think Ponica Promise is a, a great example of this, but just because you accept that something's a, a problem that, you know, law and order often has a right-wing framing, congestion often has a kind of pro-car framing, but say, it's not that, you know, I don't hear, hear you that this is an issue, but there are, you know, progressive, non-punitive solutions to this. This is what um, the story you told about the comments Nicola Willis made, that's probably the angriest I've ever been at a politician in New Zealand, the entire way that was framed. It's minor rant here that, you know, 
oh, it's these people in social housing that are, you know, making us feel unsafe. And it's like, how safe do the people who are unhoused or living on the streets feel? And what about, you know, their their experience of the city, um, you know, being pleasant and, and as well. So it, it's it's being able to find those things where you don't give people the answer they necessarily are expecting you to give, but that that does actually put up a, a progressive challenge on these things. So it, it has been really good. And I think in Wellington, it's partly just because of how bad things have got on the infrastructure and transport front that, and, and housing that, you know, there has been this movement of, of offering progressive alternatives that are not just, um, you know, cut rates and sprawl everything all the way to Palmerston North. I think it's something I've definitely been seeing, um, not just in, in local politics, but maybe more slowly in, in national politics as well as this reframing and connecting those progressive uh, policies back to these really core values that people are used to seeing in a very specific uh, antagonistic way is probably the the best way to put the way um, media and, and politicians have tended towards uh, framing them in the past. Um, and it's fantastic to hear the different ways uh, across the country that these are being grappled with because it is going to be different depending on your community, right? Um, and, and who lives in your city um, or, or you're part of the city are going to, they're going to have the same core human values, but it's going to, they're going to be interacting with it in a completely different way, depending on the circumstances. And I think that's one of the real strengths of, of local politics. You, you don't get that level of, or at least that level of insight is a lot harder to engage with um, at the national level. I think I have a, well, I think a lot of it comes down to like being able to present a vision for your city. And I think sometimes there's more integrity to it because you live there, it's your city, you know, your, or your district, you know, when you're talking about things, it's like you can be aspirational and you can like really drill down to the local, you know, you can say, oh, you live in Dinsdale. So uh, let's talk about your local park. I know exactly where it is. It's next to the school. You know, like when you're talking about a vision, I think it can be sometimes harder at a national politics level because it can seem so airy-fairy and it's like, wow, you know, you dickheads in Wellington don't really know, you know, what it's like in Hamilton. Whereas I'm standing there being like, I live down the road. Like <laughs> I've lived in your suburb. I've lived in this other suburb, like, you know, I've commuted this, this, uh, you know, track, I've, I've, I've been here, and I, I know these issues intimately, and it's, I think as well, when you're saying to people like, hey, well, my vision for the city is we've got lots of green spaces, like, don't you love taking your kids to the playground and like, you know, having some shade in the summer when it's <laughs> a million degrees, because uh, of climate change, like, you know, you can kind of, <laughs> I don't know, get people across the line on issues that like if, if I don't know, if if this was the Green Party in a general election, they'd be like, oh, bloody greenies and their bloody trees, you know, but you know, you're like, hey, but your local park, you like those trees, you know, and your kid loves climbing on that one, like that's the best climbing tree in Hamilton, you know, like it's just, I don't know, it's just so different and you kind of can get rid of some of the, I guess, like, barriers to caring about things when you're talking about them in that like values framework and I guess it's just easier to do that values framework in a local government arena I guess. It's it's really interesting seeing how people from different political 
backgrounds, bents, um, write their 150 words. And a lot of the time they're quite similar. Um, you know, like people want nice parks, people want good community things. And so, you know, a lot of people say quite similar things and then you go, okay, um, but you voted, you know, you don't want rates increases or you want rate decreases. So you can't pay for that. So what are you going to get rid of? And, um, you know, without having the, I don't know what's the right word. I don't want to say like honesty of having a, a brand behind you or a, a you know a ticket behind you that people can look at and go, okay, that's what they've done in the past and that's what they stand for. So that's how they'd get to that thing. Um, it can be yeah, it can be quite quite funny to hear what some people have to say. Um, we had a person last time from the other side say she was Labour, she's running on CNR is not Labour, but you know you're able to kind of say that kind of stuff because people see you as the nice lady who's you know, leading the um, exercise classes all the time and doing this thing and that thing. Um, and so it's, it comes back to, again, that real disengagement that people have with local government um, and not being able to say, hey, you know, these are these decisions that were made and they were written in my local paper or they were put into my Facebook group and things like that so that people can actually say, oh, yeah, that that's who they are and that's what they've done in the past. Um, it's really interesting comparing some of the areas of Auckland that have those kind of um, long-term institutions, you know, the Devon, Devonport has two community newspapers. The entirety of Pukitapapa has none. And, and you know, people over there are a lot more involved and that's a positive and a negative, um, you know, but they, they're able to say, oh, that's the person who, you know, voted to not build a cycle lane and now someone died on that road or that kind of thing. Whereas that isn't necessarily put out there that much within our area. So then it kind of comes back on us to be out there blabbering on and, and hoping that people read it and, you know, read our arguments on Facebook and go, oh, yeah, I guess I'll go with that guy's side. I guess I had a bit of a follow-up, probably mostly for you, John, in terms of actually having been elected to um, to the local board, sort of you talk about these tangible issues, but how easy is it to, to actually make a difference around these things? Like you're talking about there's a particular roundabout or a particular trees or a beach or whatever. What's it? What's it like in the yeah, end in terms of actually, you know, taking action on that stuff? Because it, it sounds like it could be good, but I'm guessing it's not all straightforward. No, it's really not. Again, it comes back to that framework that we work within where, you know, there's the governing body council and there's local board and governing body kind of allocates us some money to do what we want with. But, you know, a lot of stuff is decided at that level. There's actually going to be a shift coming, which is really cool, where they'll be devolving some of those powers into um, where money is spent so that's really cool but to actually you know example of that roundabout thing usually you know I only got a hold of the information I got I had to do an OIA um, well actually no I, a resident did an OIA and I read that and then I was able to get stuff to happen I've done OIAs on lots of stuff before because you know there are walls put up by many many people within organizations and you know when you look at how they get treated by a number of elected members you can see why those walls get put up but it does stop you know, decision makers having the information that they need to have. It's been really interesting. And I, I like a lot of the cool stuff that we've managed to make happen has been through meeting a person in the right place and talking to them about it. So you can be told, oh, no, you know, that, that's not really something that can happen. And then you, you meet someone at a water care community liaison group and they go, oh, yeah, of course we can start to do, um, you know, stormwater testing at that beach or things like that. The other issue is, you know, things are done by financial year. So, you kind of you have this oh yeah this is this cool idea that we have and you have that in say August well you signed off the budget in June so you know you need to bring that up when we start developing the work program which is going to happen three months down the line and then other stuff come up and you kind of forget about it and you're like oh that was that thing 
so I've been really lucky. I've said it before, I think, but to have Julie as this, you know, someone who really knows the ins and outs of, of what to do and how to do it. But, you know, for a lot of candidates, you kind of come on and you spend two years, at least three years, not really knowing what options you have to do stuff and how you can do it. So, yeah, it's definitely not easy to get things happening, but you are able to do stuff and that's really cool. And you are able to help people out, which is the best thing when someone has a problem and you can go, I know what to do. I go to this person and then things actually get done. We just got a rubbish bin put back next to a bus stop. They got taken away three years ago and it got, you know, it just got lost in the system and we got a rubbish bin back. So, you know, you're like, yeah, we got a rubbish bin. I'm going to post about it on Facebook or we got some water fountains put in, you know, it's these small things, but they are things that are going to make a real tangible difference in people's lives. And to able to, to be able to do that is awesome. It's, it's striking to hear you talk about the upskilling that representatives need to do in the context of civics education for voters like for even even for people who have been elected and have been in local boards are uh, struggling and I, I hope you don't mind me using that term for you, uh, what's happened <laughs> in that space John um, to figure out how to get a thing done like sometimes ostensibly quite simple things that's and and people wonder why sometimes voters don't quite understand the A to B um, of decision making processes. Yeah, just incredible. Yeah, I mean, sorry, Louise. I just I think you know it kind of comes back to neoliberal reforms that were done eighty seven nineties. You know, we where we took a lot of processes out of elected members' hands. You know, and you can see there's a justification for that sometimes, but um, you know things get run by the system for the system's interests. Um, and it can be quite hard for a democratically elected member of the people to necessarily change those things. Uh, over to you, Louise. Well, yeah. I was going to ask, if, am I allowed to ask John a question? <laughs> <laughs> Making the most of having an elected member on the call. But um, I guess something I've noticed in Hamilton is that quite often some elected members can get very anxious and upset, particularly uh, elected members who love to sit on the fence and neither vote, uh, well, neither declare which way they're voting. Um, you know, there's an example I can think of in, uh, recently there was a roundabout that was redone and there was all this anger in a local Facebook group that it was causing all this congestion and admittedly it was like, but there's huge roadworks, <laughs> like they're digging up the whole road. Yeah, of course it's going to cause delays, but you know, there were elected members who were extremely upset about all of this kerfuffle and you know, the public's so upset. And uh, I offered an opinion of like, yeah, cool. Can you just like wait a month till they're finished and then see how angry people are. And on the other hand of that, even if people are really angry, uh, people have been complaining about this roundabout. I was reading a council document from like 2014 about how this was one of the worst roundabouts in Hamilton from <laughs> that long ago and they've only just fixed it now. And I was like, but you've also spent like, roundabouts cost millions of dollars. You spent all this money on it. You actually can't probably put it back. Like if the public really hated it, like, it's not really an option. Like the public can yell at you about it and be like, we're really upset, but you can't put it all back. <laughs> and I was wondering, John, <laughs> like, how do you make sure that like the loudest, like what's your framework as an existing elected member? What's your framework for making sure it's not just the loudest people that you listen to who are upset about a five minute wait at a roundabout rather than like climate action or inequality or, you know, the cost of living. Yeah. Have I mean, got a good metric for that. It's a really good question. And um, 
but something I've been talking about quite a lot recently is that you look at with anti-vax, right? In the you know March of this year, social media was so loud with it. Everything was no way that you know. And and if you just went off that, you would think ninety-eight percent of New Zealanders were anti-vax and you know think Jacinda is leading a satanic cabal. Um, but it's totally not the fact. Not totally not true. Well, maybe this no, no. Anyway, um, so the metric part. I mean, it's it's actually you know having that link into your community and actually talking to can I say real people is a, is a really useful thing to help you decide like, is this actually a real issue or is this just some people who hate change? Um, and you know, a lot of the time that's what it is. And then it's, you know, a year later you post about it and everyone's like, this thing's fine. Um, so what, you know, it's, it's about being evidence backed, right? So you know that the modeling has been done, you know, that it's all there, you know, that there's years of complaints, you know, there's crashes at this place. So, you know, this thing has to happen and it is that, we're going to have to get through it and it is going to suck while we get through it, but you know, we'll come out the other side and be fine. Um, it's really interesting with the roundabout thing because, you know, Auckland just tried you know, innovating streets, um, you know, so where you, 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 you consult on something by doing it temporarily and people hate that because they're like, now you're going to rip it all up. Be like, well, would you rather we just built the multi-billion dollar thing and then you don't like it? Like, this is a good thing, but you know, I've said that it, it, it that's in, you know, you can use those things to help you, but you know, I we haven't I haven't had to face something in the three years I've been on of a concerted attack. You know, I think it would be you know it, it's a lot different when you're getting constant emails, you're getting texts, you're getting things like that. And I haven't necessarily had to go through that yet, um, but I could definitely send you to some people that have. I think this reminds me of how um, you know we talk about how so many counselors might need like need upskilling, but like so many just don't want to be. They they don't. They want to play the populist games. They don't actually want to read the council papers. Um, you know, my, one of my local councillors, Diane Calvert, you know, she's consistently against anything good. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, you know, one one day she's slamming Let's Get Wellington Moving for taking too long, too much consultation, uh, nothing's ever happening. And the next day she's says not enough consultation. And then her voting record, she's voted against almost every aspect of it. It's this real politics of just denying, deflecting and delaying everything just for populist games, really. One day she's decrying party politics and local government. Next day she's lining up to be Paul Eagle's deputy mayor. Um, so, you know, there's a whole, there's so much game playing in council. Council. It's really, um, you want to talk about council dysfunction. <laughs> it's these uh, people who are just play, play, looking for a fight, really. I don't want to talk about council dysfunction. Um, I, I don't think we have nearly enough time to to plumb the depths of that, sadly. Uh, but this has um, kind of landed in the place where I, I wanted to tie us up, which is what are things looking like on the ground? You know, just before we were started recording, Louise, you were saying that you've had hoardings up for a while and just hate of the you know, rip down. We're in a... Kind of political environment that is a lot that seems a lot more volatile than some of the ones that we've had. What what are things like out there? How are you dealing with it as a community um, and as a candidate? Maybe start with you, Louise, since I referenced you. For sure. Yeah, I don't know. It's it feels so different. It feels a million years away from the 2019 election. You know, I started campaigning in May and it was six months of campaigning. I've only just announced it start of August so it'll be a two-month campaign it's but it feels like that was felt right 
in terms of like a vibe check with what other candidates are doing. Um, and yeah, we've, we, in Hamilton, you can have hoardings up for ages. Um, and yeah, they've just been like viciously ripped off fences. <laughs> and I don't really believe in hoardings for that pure reason. <laughs> I don't want to go chase my face around the city. But yeah, I don't know. They've, it's, it's again, that thing of like, what do you, what do you notice about what's being done? You know, like I notice things are being ripped off fences, but at the same time, you know, like, I'm kind of gauging a lot of my campaign on last election and, you know, despite a cost of living crisis and despite, you know, uh, having to have the cost of everything go up, you know, I received the same, nearly the same amount of donations in the first 24 hours of announcing that I did last time. And that's three is different. And I really was expecting much, much less, you know, I'm not running for mayor. Um, everything costs an arm and a leg people are much worse off so I don't know it's it's kind of really interesting and um I don't know this there's, there's certainly I guess a distrust or a dislike of door knockers uh we did get door knocked while we had COVID and we had to like yell at them to please go away we don't want we don't want to talk to you and it's for your own good <laughs> so I don't know I think campaigning is is different you kind of need to do different things I'm certainly I work in the COVID program I'm not gonna organize any in-person events indoors in small poorly ventilated spaces <laughs> in the next two months I'd be betraying my colleagues <laughs> um, but you know it's just yeah last time I was running um, pub quizzes to raise money I was, I was holding clothes swaps and you know I think about the ventilation of those spaces and I was like oh oh no <laughs> so yeah I it feels like uh, current events wise very different, but people are really supportive, but people are really aggressively also not supportive. And yeah, I did. Um, I have certainly already had some a few online trolls. It's it's just always a little bit suspicious when you get multiple comments very quickly one after another. And oh, all of those people formerly had ACT Party uh, Facebook frames. How interesting. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, that's probably uh, better than what happened last election <laughs> for me in terms of the ACT Party coming after me. So, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'm very interested to hear what um, yeah, Wellington and Auckland is like, uh, knowing there's also been discussions about signs going out there. <laughs> Lachlan. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was I was about to say, like, oh, people are so much more angry about things this time. But then I remembered, like, last election, there was the whole buses and Justin Lester got turfed out and there was a whole suite of new candidates getting elected and incumbents being turfed out. So maybe it's the same. People care just as much, except it's different issues. Um, I mean, it's interesting with this mayoral race, who knows what's going to happen, um, with Paul Eagle, who's well backed by the old guard of Wellington, but um, we'll see how popular he actually is. Um, and then you've got Andy Foster, who's kind of seen as the face of the council's um, division and dysfunction over the last term. But um, I'm feeling positive. I mean, for this is the first election we've had a green candidate in every ward, which I think is a good sign. Well, at least in my memory. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I think, you know, we've got so many more people who came to volunteer than we did at the last local election, which is really positive. Um, but we'll see. I mean, there's been big debates, obviously, about, you know, housing and transport um, and lots of dissatisfaction over rates increases and water infrastructure. So I, I imagine this, uh, I expect there'll be a, is still a anti-incumbency kind of mood. I don't know if that's increased or remains 
the same as last time when we had all the buses going bad and everything. And um, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm quite hard in by that there is um, lots of people who are really keen to get involved and volunteer in a way that wasn't this wasn't so much there last time. Um, so I'm very, very optimistic for our chances of creating a really progressive city. Yeah, I'd echo that last bit about it being positive that there is lots of people who want good stuff. You know, we there was a pretty overwhelming majority backing a climate action targeted rate being um, installed in Auckland. Um, so, you know, like Louise was talking earlier about someone said no one cares about it. Everyone cares about it. Um, some people might not believe it's made by men, but they want to do stuff about it anyway. So that's really cool. I think Auckland, there's already is a whole lot of dis disinformation, misinformation going around. There's a whole lot of money behind that. But I am maybe a little bit optimistic that I think people have started to see through it a little bit. You know, you get this scary looking picture of a mayoral candidate saying that he wants to bring back the Harbour Bridge and things like that. Um, but it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I think I don't know. I would like to think that people are smart enough to are starting to see through that now. And, and you know, the real important thing for us is to not be engaging with that kind of stuff. Um, you know, maybe take a picture of it in the Herald and, you know, if you ever see that rag, um, but not sharing the the accounts really directly. And then, you know, not going to the crime and safety meeting that CNR are putting on because you're just going to get annoyed at it. Um, so instead, really focusing on the cool stuff that we can be doing um, around transport, around the environment, around communities, around, you know, engaging our diverse communities that we have and actually getting people involved in those processes working within that system that I talked about before, but, you know, if you're getting good people in it, then things can actually really start to make that change. So, yeah, hopeful, good. The COVID issue it makes things really, really hard, you know, with the door knocking. I am not that comfortable doing it, but our, you know, team wants to do it. Um, I would rather go to the sports park and just talk to people while they're looking after their kids or something like that, you know, outdoors, those kind of things. So it's about, you know, finding those new ways of campaigning um, which we probably really should have figured out in the 2020 election rather than thinking COVID was over. But yeah, well, who's got a mirror? Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how we go. It's cool. And, you know, it is always fun meeting new people and, and you know, you get to meet some really interesting people from all different walks of life that are quite often pretty awesome. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. Fantastic. That um, The hopefulness is, has rubbed off on me a little bit as well. Uh, and and it's also, it's just really good to hear from people on the ground who are actually doing this because unless we follow just social media pages the and i do i do want to be clear about that um i do follow progressive candidates but it's in a stream of other stuff right uh, and not everyone is a politics media tragic like i am um so they're actively kind of trying to search this stuff out if you're kind of looking at a lot of the mainstream stuff it's a it's a lot more negative so hearing all of you talk about it, it has been really grounding um it's been really i think it's really important to hear those conversations uh rusty did you have any other things that you wanted to to ask before we wrap it up no i think that was it i think the that point about the kind of optimism rubbing off i think is is exactly right and i just you know thank you all for for coming along um to hear about people actually doing something instead of just slowly losing your mind doom scrolling is um is very easy to do so to kind of hear how how getting involved in something tangible and um taking action um on it um yeah is really encouraging and i'd encourage any of our listeners to you know find you guys um 
donation links or campaigns where you can um because you know it's got to be done on that note we'll go in alphabetical order um so backwards from john do you want to give you a your quick pitch on where people can find you uh cool so um yeah got a really great team six people running for pukita papa local board um, as well as Julie Ferry and Red, who are running for the Albert Eden Pukitapapa mayoral seats. Um, we've got Climate Action. We're all about, you know, getting, I've said it before, the diverse voice. Um, Mount Ross School's the most diverse place in New Zealand. Um, over 50% people born outside of Aotearoa. European is not the majority racial or ethnic group. So, you know, and that is actually starting to be reflected in our in our feedback. I'm kind of going on a little bit too long here, but, you know, active transport parks cleaning up the beaches it's all that good stuff um so you can find me john turner pukitap up a local board on facebook or roscoe community voice um and then on john turner.nz is my website uh awesome and james make sure your mum votes for me i was gonna say i did actually have one more question which roundabout was it that was uh um falling causing those troubles and the one thing my mum's mentioned about the local board that she thinks great is the cleaning up the beaches. So oh, I think you've won. Mm. I think you've won her over from the other side yeah, with that one. Yeah, great. Make sure. Yeah, tell her it was me. Yeah. Um, it's the Hillsborough Road in Commodore. So just after the, the the supermarket I was talking about before. So we have all these angry Westies coming on the weekend during road construction, getting grumpy. They can't get to the supermarket. And you can find me, Lachlan Patterson, uh, for fighting the Onslow West Award by Googling Lachlan Patterson for fighting the Onslow West Award. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can go to lachlanpatterson.nz. Um, you can find all your local green candidates in Wellington at wellingtongreens.org.nz. And you can find any green candidate in the country at vote.greens.org.nz and put your address in and you'll find all your local green candidates who are totally worth your tick or number one vote. And with that, I pass on to Louise. That was very good, Lachlan. <laughs> that was great. I really enjoyed that. You can find me online at Say Cheese Louise on Twitter, at uh, Louise Hart on Instagram, at uh, Louise Hart for Hamilton West on Facebook. Uh, we need collaborative, thoughtful leadership that will help us navigate the challenging times we're living through in Hamilton, be it climate change, growing inequality, or this bloody pandemic. Uh, so you can hop on over to vote.louisehut.com and we have some very sweet merch that Kyle did, I can say. He does follow me because I got a sweet retweet out of him tonight. Uh, we've got some very fun merch. You can buy a fun t-shirt that says fuck the status quo, which was very popular last time. There's also a climate change one and a city of the future one because Hamilton is, of course, the city of the future. Uh, there's some stickers. You can uh, get campaign updates from me uh, or you can just chuck some dollars my way. That would be awesome. But yes, uh, voting papers come out uh, shortly. You need to make sure your enrollment details are up to date by August 12th and uh, make sure those papers are delivered back to council at the very latest by October 8th. <laughs> in the post before then obviously thank you so much for doing the um get out the vote uh electoral bit louise um saves me having to to do it which is fantastic but yeah everyone keep an eye out for those um do do update your details um if you've recently moved um and yeah get out the vote um join join up uh, to a campaign go and find someone who has the same values as you um and get involved I, I think it's really great and thank you so much uh to all the candidates uh, and my co-host uh rusty for for joining us all this evening i hope uh they've offered you a, a vision for their cities and like me uh have 
reinvigorated your your optimism for local elections. If you've enjoyed this, uh, give it a share. Get other people to, to know about local politics. Yeah, send it around to your Facebook groups or your Twitters. Give it a retweet. Um, you can also throw money to us. Uh, there's a Patreon link in the summary. Uh, helps us to continue doing independent progressive media just in terms of editing and, and hosting the website and things like that. Uh, absolutely appreciate it. Other than that, we will have a current events podcast for you on the weekend as usual, and we'll catch you then. Relentless routines, the dying embers of your dreams, is the lie aspirational. Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routines, the dying embers of your dreams, is a lie aspirational. Will you die keeping your glass half full? You don't hate your nation, you hate nationalism. 